peace and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we kick off a new sermon series entitled Miraculous. As we look back at uh, over the uh, summer months at, at many of the stories that we grew up remembering, listening to. Maybe you had some flannel graphs where you actually had a, a, you know, an ark uh, moving along with some rough seas or some water, uh, birds flying in. Uh, maybe you had, uh, for those of you that aren't aware of what a flannel graph is, uh, it, it, it's like a, a low-tech version of your iPhone, okay? So I just want to uh, just, it's about the same size, depending on where, what church you had, how much money you had. Uh, maybe a big computer screen, maybe the, the low-tech version of a computer screen. Maybe that'll help uh, some of you younger to go, I have no idea what, what, what's a flannel graph. I have no idea. Who knows? No matter how you remember the story, there's lots of details in the story. And miraculous, miraculous doesn't even begin to tell the story. I mean, there is so much going on with the, the story of Noah's Ark that, that even if we begin here, if we were to read all of the verses, we'd be here uh, until next week, dissecting, going through all of the details. So just the highlights today. Noah, about 500 years old, yes, literally 500 years old old, has three sons. About that same time, God comes and says, I am so disappointed with all of creation. They have done nothing but muck it up. I'm going to get rid of them. Noah, I want you to start building an ark. Now, by all accounts, the best we can figure out is it took Noah over 100 years to build the ark. This is not a skilled laborer that we can figure out, right? Uh, now, is it because it was so huge and the uh, construction method so rudimentary that it took 100 years? Or is it more like your woodworking projects where you begin, you start over, you go get some more wood at Home Depot? I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like this thing was huge by a comparison with anything. And in fact, if you take the biggest estimate for how big is a cubit, which I know many of you are going, a cubit, a cubit, how, how, how big is a cubit, right? You're sitting here trying to figure out anywhere from 18 inches to a little over 20 inches. Just depends on where you were in the world at the time. If you take the longest measurement, it, we're talking over 550 feet long. A football field is 300 feet long. That tells you how long it was, all right? So 300 cubits by 50 cubits wide, one-sixth its length, and then 30 cubits high. Interestingly enough, today you ask shipbuilders, they will tell you this, to make a seaworthy vessel, if you will keep the ratio of 300 to 50 to 30, you have the absolute best seaworthy vessel that will take an incredible storm to roll it. Miraculous! We say, well, but we know God. He knows the right perfect dimensions to keep everything upright and afloat. Well, of course he does. What's amazing is it wasn't until the mid-1800s that another boat was built as long or as big as the ark. Now I say that carefully because the ark technically is not a boat. It does not have a keel. It did not have a sail. It did not have a rudder. 
It was merely a box. That's what the word ark means. And it simply means that it was a box built just like that, floating in the water. How long did it float in the water? Again, depending on whether you use the month, cal month calculation or the day calculation written in Scripture, we're talking over one year floating in the water. Forty days, the rain came down. Where else did the water come from for the flood? But it burst forth from underneath, and that's why it filled to the earth so quickly and immensely. How much water? Over the highest heights at the time, which we're not sure if Everest was as high as it is today. Maybe with tectonic plate and movements, it's been growing and going up ever since. But whatever the highest height was, it was at least... I uh, believe 20 cubits over. How many animals? Best estimate today by scientists conclude that with that size of vessel, the vessel could have handled 75,000 animals. How many of those animals? Is that everything? Notice that Holy Scripture uses the word kind. Not individual species. For instance, uh, to this day, all dogs, many different kinds of dogs, come from just two that we're aware of after the flood. So many of the animals that were there, we didn't have to have all the different speciesization that we are accustomed to thinking of. Birds, yes, some in. Insects, yeah, they could make it. They probably floated on some plants, right? Pairs of animals. Pairs. Unclean animals, just a pair. Clean animals, seven pairs. That's right. Fourteen of clean animals. And how did they have enough food to eat? Again, scientists today look at those measurements and say, this is not a problem. More than enough to be able to support the weight. Now, sanitation. There's always one of my biggest concerns. There's only eight human beings in this box. There are up to 75,000 animals living there. Now, you're hoping some of them are real tiny and just not a problem to clean out that cage, right? But the elephants, right, the giraffes, the hippopotamuses, okay? I'm telling you. My dog's just a quarter of their size, and I know what size he's got. These animals are a lot bigger. Now, could it be that God miraculously, and for the year, suppressed their appetites so that they ate less and thus created a little less mess? If I were Noah, that's what I'd have been praying for. Oh, Lord, please let it stretch out. Please let it go. I don't want to be down here cleaning it all up. Eight people and upwards of 70 to 75,000 animals over a year together in a confined space. Eventually, as the waters begin to recede, land. As the boat landed, Scripture says they're in the mountains of Ararat. Many translations have on Mount Ararat. It's probably better understood that it's in the mountain range of Ararat. 
Again, depending on who you listen to, what are the latest scientific finds, uh, maybe we found it, maybe we haven't. The whole point is this. In God's miraculous story, God who was upset with a world that no longer followed him, listened to him, honored him, and obeyed him. In a world where people lived hundreds and hundreds of years, God brought judgment. He did. And that's a hard word sometimes for us to hear today, is that God would bring judgment upon upon people, His own creation. The very things that He said, behold, they are beautiful. These things are good. God says, I'm disappointed and I will wipe them off the face of the earth. The hard part of this, can you imagine Noah and his family? Can you imagine the people around wondering what this old man at 500 years old was doing? He didn't go out and get the animals. God miraculously brought the animals to him. And miraculously, Noah, who was not a shipbuilder, built an incredible, incredible vessel. And miraculously, when when the Lord opened the heavens and Noah said, okay, family, it's time to get in, and it took 40 days or more, right, for this water to back up from underneath and to come down from the sky above, and finally the boat has enough water to be able to move around, and they heard people I can picture, let us in. And maybe some boats made it for a little while, and they could see people uh, going about their way. And can you imagine those eight people going, this is not for you. If we dwell there, right? If we dwell on who the ark was not for, my guess is, is we'll be pretty down. My, my guess is, is that we'll go, it's not fair. My guess is if we focus on that, well, we will absolutely go, I, I, just I don't know if I can believe in a God like that. I, uh, that's just crazy to me. How could God not save everyone? It's not for us to know. It's not in our purview to understand the mind and the way and the thoughts of God. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. I always place myself into stories. It helps me understand what's going on. And with Noah's Ark, I'm never Noah. I'm never one of the sons. I'm not the wives. I picture myself as a neighbor. Because knowing my heart, it's a moment for confession for me. I hear the story 
And I think how remarkable and how awesome and how miraculous that God would save a, a, a portion of humanity. I, I, I give him all of that because how, how incredible it must have been to destroy the work of his own hands. And I picture myself whose every inclination and thoughts of my heart are only evil all the time. And humbles me. Makes me sit back and understand my motivations aren't always pure and right and true. I'm not always in the best place to offer up any kind of encouragement or blessing or hope to people around me. No, I have an evil heart that quite frankly should be drowned. And that's that's exactly it's exactly then that I'm ready to hear the good news. First Peter chapter three tells us. That God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And there's a lot there that Peter tells us that this incredible, miraculous story of Noah's Ark, while almost fanciful and almost too good to be true, it's a precursor. It's a story. It's an image to help us understand this fact that God saves through drowning. In the holy waters of baptism, Romans 6 says, do you not know that you are buried with Christ in that baptism? But because he rose, you too shall rise. And here Peter says again, this baptism saves and what God does in holy waters of baptism, miraculous in and of itself. That theologically, we, the old Adam, the sinful part that is always wanting to sin, always tending to sin, always caught up in sin, is drowned and raised. And that there's new life and new rules and new ways of being. Prior to the flood, everyone was a vegetarian. Probably why they lived five, six hundred years, or so I'm told. Afterwards, no, God says, please eat meat. And we all rejoiced, meat eaters, that is. But we were limited. 120 years, he now says, the max. I think the oldest person alive just two weeks ago uh, after the lady in the United States that held that record was 116 years old. Uh, now it's a French lady who was born in December of 1899. And we go, wow, miraculous. 
What do you attribute to your longevity? Well, I ate a raw egg first thing in the morning. My mother was eating breakfast. She nearly lost it. <laughs> Don't tell me that story. <sighs> the miraculous is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. That's God's promise, echoing the promise at the end of the flood where he says, look to the storm clouds and I will show you a promise and never again will I annihilate all of the earth with a natural disaster. Never again flooding from all the deep and up on high. Look to the sky, I promise you. <sighs> and in that rainbow, we realize that God's love is for us all through Jesus Christ who saves us. Amen.